welcome to Knowing Nature, a podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name is Annabeth. And I'm Victor. And this is The, the Rubbish, Rubbish Episode. That was delightfully cheesy. In this episode today, we're looking all at rubbish, not just rubbish itself, more pollution on a whole. It's unsightly to look at. We don't like it when we see it on the streets, but actually it can have some really, really damaging effects on our ecosystems and the living things that we share our planet with. Some hidden effects that you don't also, mm -hmm. you don't always notice. Yes. On litter in particular, people would be surprised that over 48% have admitted to dropping litter at least once in their lifetime. And in the UK alone, litter dropping has increased by about 500% since the, since the 1960s, which is just shocking when you think about it. So people are dropping five times more litter than they did in the 1960s. And I don't know whether that's we're just I know, creating more things, like we're more, we use more consumables and things like that. Mm -hmm. More packaging. More packaging. And maybe there's, I don't know, a shortage of bins. Who knows? But yes, our kind of litter is increasing and it's obviously ending up not just on land but also in our oceans and everyone knows about the plastic crisis affecting the, our that the oceans. world is yeah. facing yeah exactly it's not even the big things like um seals getting stuck in plastic tubing and netting it's also when it gets breaks down and it, i think everyone knows about microplastics now so in this episode what we're going to do is we're going to talk a bit about past Mm -hmm. attempts at tackling different forms mm -hmm. of pollution and how they've been effective and we're going to look at some activities and ideas for ways to get people or kids engaged in uh, helping their own environment maybe taking an active stand against it whether that is just litter picks or maybe yeah like you said activities they can do as a class and making it fun to care and look after your ecosystem which i think is great Right, okay, so let's just dive right in. Let's start with past pollution. Past pollution. So some famous examples from the past. We've got uh, DDT. Mm -hmm. So that was a pesticide that was in big use in the, ooh, I can't remember now, 70s, 80s, somewhere mm -hmm. around there. And people started to notice also along the same line, time dramatic declines in birds of prey. And in some analysis, they actually went back to historical egg collections and found that the shells of these uh, birds of prey were getting thinner and thinner. And they oh, wow. also found that DDT concentrations in these birds was getting higher and higher. So DDT was actually causing these birds to lay eggs with thinner shells, which meant that when they were sat on, the eggs would break. So higher infant edge. mortality rates. Exactly. Then. Um, I think, is it not with birds of prey, their clutch size always tends to be a lot smaller than with smaller. I think they tend to lay less eggs, so then the, they're... Obviously, if there's eggshells are thinner, then there's a high risk of a lot lowering the population because their egg so. clutches are a lot smaller. Yeah. And um, another thing that conservationists will do with endangered species, but I'm not sure if they do it with birds of prey, but you can do something called head starting, which is where you go and you collect the first clutch of eggs that a bird mm -hmm. will lay. And if it's early enough in the season, the bird might actually just try and lay a second clutch of eggs. And so you can incubate the first clutch of eggs away from it, and you're kind of like doubling the number of eggs in that year in this kind of slightly sneaky so way. So it's not so much bird napping, but positive adoption that the bird didn't realize yeah. was taking place. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. Giving the population a head start. Oh, uh, but there are some species where that doesn't work with because they only lay the one clutch per year, and usually that's bigger birds, and most birds mm. of prey are bigger birds. So I don't know that it would work with that. So with the DDT then, um, obviously it's been banned. Do we know if the eggshell has returned to normal yet? Or yeah, and now 
birds of prey are coming back and uh, especially in the more developed countries which is where DDT was more heavily used anyways mm -hmm. they were noticing the heavy declines but nowadays um, the peregrine falcon is the key is like the the face of this change where their populations have really come back and now they're starting to even take advantage of the urban environment so with the DDT did how did it get into the peregrine falcon or for, for example that bird that is an excellent question basically what was happening was it was being sprayed on crops as a way of deterring insect pests that were eating mm -hmm. them but what would happen is some of these insects would eat the plants and you know before they died uh, a birds and smaller birds would come by and eat these insects and then the DDT would go into their systems but the thing with DDT is that it's a fat uh, soluble compound so it means that these birds were storing the DDT in their fat it wasn't directly affecting them too much because mm -hmm. the concentrations are were so, low, so low yeah but what happens is as those birds get eaten by birds of prey the DDT gets moves from the prey birds fat stores into the bird of prey's fat stores and as they eat you it know many many yeah. small birds it accumulates in them so this is a process we call bioaccumulation mm. where even low concentrations in the general environment can become quite high concentrations as you move up the food up chains. the trophic levels yeah. yeah and i think that's why it tends to be these kind of top of the food chain predators are the ones that are hit, being hit the most with these sort of pollutants like ddt and we'll be chatting about pcb actually in a little minute as well yeah so that's that's one where we found a problem we took action to ban this chemical and we've seen a dramatic impact in the return of these birds of prey was it just banned was that the only control measure or did they actively take like obviously banned wasn't being produced anymore but did they actively go out and collect it not collect it but no. clean it up i don't know what no the right they i don't believe so i think it was just a ban and the thing with ddt is helpful in this case is that it does survive in the environment for a while but it breaks down relatively quickly in oh, the okay. environment so it isn't like long lasting lingering no. Okay. But you mentioned PCBs. PCB, yes. So tell us a bit about PCBs. So this is a study that I followed actually for quite some time and it's focusing on orcas, on the killer whale populations in the world. And this was actually quite a recent study. It was done around, published in science in 27th September 2018. So really, really recent. Um, but yeah, basically the PCB was banned over 40 years ago, but they are still a threat to our killer whales. And it's all to do with that bioaccumulation that we've been chatting about. But it basically shows that the current con concentrations of PCBs have led to disappearance of half of the world's population of killer whales. That is an mm -hmm. enormous amount. And they're saying that it could they could go extinct in a period of about 50 years. So in our lifetime, killer whales could go extinct, not just from hunting and fish, dropping fish populations, but from PCB, a pollutant that was banned. So it's, yeah, it's all to do with this bioaccumulation. And it's obviously since killer whales are the top of the food chain as they eat, obviously they eat herring, but they also eat large animals as well, like seals, like tuna, like big animals. And as you can imagine, as it begins to accumulate, the concentrations in each level get higher and higher. So as the orca eats more and more of these larger animals, the accumulation gets quite large. And mm. it's the same idea with the DDT that it builds in the fat tissues and it stores in their blubber. So killer whales have huge amount of blubber. It helps them live, obviously, they live north to south pole they're world round so they need that blubber to keep them warm but it's almost the part of their anatomy that's keeping them warm is also storing all of this really really this dangerous poison. dangerous chemical yeah. so yeah. pcbs were used in uh, the manufacturer of things like plastics mm -hmm. and the thing that makes PCBs particularly difficult is that they last a really long time in the environment it, it does mm -hmm. not break down very quickly 
So are PCBs still used today? So no, through the to the 1970s and 1980s, similar with DDT, um, they were banned in several countries. And then in 2004, with the Stockholm Convention, more than 90 countries have committed themselves to phase out and dispose of all the large stocks of PCBs. So they have been banned, but they're also now getting rid of them since 2004. But it's still an ongoing process. So even though they've stopped using them, their countries are still working through getting rid of their stocks of it. Because like you said, long lasting, so it's still persevering in the environment, which is what's causing so many problems for our killer whales. And killer whales are long lived animals as well. Mm -hmm. So the females can live up to 70 to 80 years. They can reproduce quite a lot in that time, but still the, the young stays with them. And it's actually the big problem with the PCBs. It's causing infertility. So they were finding in the study that killer whales with levels, PCB levels as low as 50 milligrams per kilo of their tissue. So you can imagine they're quite big animals with 50 milligrams that can cause infertility. But they were finding in their study that some individuals had over 1,300 milligrams per kilo of their tissue. So they very infertile, <laughs> basically. Um, so and in particular, they were finding a lot of these individuals to be actually in the waters around the UK. And we used to have quite a huge population of orcas, but it's now believed to be as low as 10. And it's currently unsure whether these individuals are still fertile. Wow, mm -hmm. that's very dramatic. Mm -hmm. So we've taken action and have we seen any progress? Or... So there has been some progress actually with the populations around the Faroe Islands, Iceland, Norway, Alaska and actually around Antarctic. And the killer whale populations are actually increasing and growing. And they're ho it's hoping the models that they've done and run for this study um, is predicting that they'll continue to grow and hopefully increase over the next century. But again, this might go in line with that. The killer whales around these have a higher range of like birds and biodiverse food source. Mm -hmm. So they can eat smaller animals around there, lots of herring and things like that. Whereas kind of around the UK, they tend to feed mostly on seals. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. So they're feeding on higher up the yeah. food chain, essentially. They're feeding mm -hmm. higher in the trophic level. So they're getting a more concentrated. And as overfishing increases and our overfishing crisis, we're actually limiting the possible food for them. So it causes them to sort of eat these larger animals as well so it's kind of a few things we need to work on but um i think now the uk is now working towards not just now that they've banned it great but actually actively removing it from the ecosystem is the next step if we're going to try and save our killer whales in our lifetime which for me personally i think would be pretty yeah, great <laughs> absolutely it's a shame to lose them yeah um so that's two examples of pollutants that we were spreading out into the environment. We've mm -hmm. taken action and we can see in one case loads of progress with DDT and with the other ones, PCBs, we're seeing that mm -hmm. there's still some ways to go. That's a problem that we're going to be around, that mm -hmm. we're going to be dealing with for a while. Which kind of brings us on to plastics, which is another big problem because that's a pollutant mm -hmm. that we are putting out into every environment mm -hmm. on Earth now contains plastics. Yeah. And plastics are around, again, a very, very long time. It's part of why we use them. They're super durable. They last really long times in the environment. Mm -hmm. And even when they do break down, they tend to not decompose completely. They just break into smaller, smaller and plastics, smaller pieces. Which is not good. <laughs> it's not good. So we're going to be dealing with plastics it mm -hmm. for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna, a problem that's going to solve itself because it's they don't decompose. We are basically living in the plastic age. We've been through, you know, Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age. We are in the plastic the age. Plastic Our age. life is dominated by plastic. Yeah, I think there's a study that discovered that 
the, the US throws away enough toothbrushes every year to go around the, wor the world like three times or something crazy that is like a lot that. Of toothbrushes. You know, how long are toothbrushes? Yeah, but because, and what that toothbrush is made of, the components of the plastic that it has, does not, is not recyclable, can't be recycled. So that just gets thrown away and eventually over a long time breaks down. And like you said, those itty bitty microplastics end up. And although we can't necessarily see them, they are being consumed by our zooplankton bottom of the food chain, which again, this whole bioaccumulation, biomagnification what's causing our bigger issues yeah. and i think we've there's now been a couple studies found where microplastics are being found in things that humans consume mm. uh including bottled water i believe oh my goodness yeah i i also Do you want it from a tap <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i came across another study that they were looking at um how long does it take for microplastics to start forming uh, and microplastics just for uh reference is defined as loosely as any bit of plastic smaller than five millimeters. Oh, wow. So what this one study did was they tried to replicate plastic bag in the ocean conditions. Mm -hmm. And they found that in as little as a few weeks, that plastic bag was starting to give off microplastics. And in this case, it in wasn't. In a week? In, yeah, it doesn't take long. But by microplastics, this was very, very tiny pieces. And mm -hmm. that's just because ultraviolet light weakens the plastic it makes it more brittle so mm -hmm. it breaks it crumbles up into little pieces and then the uh, action of the waves further breaks it up and it doesn't take long before mm -hmm. it starts forming microplastics so never mind even if it, that plastic for instance taking the plastic bag as an example never mind the fear of a turtle mistaking it for a tasty jellyfish it breaking down it can happen in as quick as a, a quick quick as a week to start actually forming microplastics that's crazy and then it's being eaten by other things and the problem with that is um there's mixed i don't think there's any conclusive things saying that okay microplastics are causing these health effects especially in humans because we're quite big animals mm -hmm. and we take a lot of care with our food so humans don't consume too much microplastic at the moment but there's no evidence that it does us any harm. However, I know that there have been some studies shown that other toxins can attach to plastics, right? So like if you think of a lot of the toxins that we talked about before, DDT and PCBs, those were chemicals that attach onto fats mm -hmm. and uh, plastics are made from petroleum products or oil products and oils are kind of like fats. So similar molecules can attach onto them. Ergo, doesn't stop yeah other toxins from attaching yeah. and then maybe causing us health issues we don't even realize. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my goodness. So this Daunting. is it's a developing thing and and we've pla mm -hmm. microplastics have only really been in the spotlight for a few years. So more information about what the impacts are will come out in probably the next five ten years. Mm -hmm. We'll start to get a better picture, but it's a, no study shows mm -hmm. that. It, this is a good picture. No, it's yes, it's never it's never going to be a good thing when there's what a plastic a landmass of plastic floating about in the Atlantic Ocean that's apparently three times the size of France, and they apparently found penguins nesting on it. Oi. Yeah. That sounds gross. That sounds awful. That sounds really gross. Yeah. Um, right. So, what, what can, can we, we do? do? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Give us gloomy. Hope. Give us hope. There is hope. Okay, so for those of us who grew up in the 90s, we've got the three R's. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, there's more of them, but <laughs> I feel like we can stick to the three stick R's. Stick to the three. So there's reduce, mm -hmm. the amount of stuff that you use and buy. Mm -hmm. There's reuse, the mm -hmm. stuff that you do buy to keep from throwing it away. And then recycle. And I recently discovered that it's, this is not pick or choose out of the three. It's the order in which your thought process should go. That's so it. first think about how can you reduce? Okay, I can't reduce. I need this. Can you reuse it? Okay, I can't reuse it. 
can you recycle it? Go in that order. I think most people think that recycling is it is great, but it's not the be all and end all to end pollution. I think we need to start human beings need to start making sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, I I absolutely agree. So we try to throw out like less than a bag of rubbish a week. So my partner and I, so just the two of us to really and it's a good target to aim for, I think, you know, just concentrate on reducing the amount of garbage. Look at what garbage you are producing yeah and thinking to yourself do i need to buy that thing that i keep throwing away and then not doing that bring lunches to work another great example that is a good one because there's <laughs> i mean it's so easy and convenient to mm-hmm. go to the shops and you buy a prepackaged lunch mm-hmm. but it's always got some plastic involved in it and then you check it out i think as as a woman there's lots Plastic is present in all aspects of our lives. We have things like sanitary products and also um, feminine beauty products and things like that. And lots of them will have microplastics in them and tend to become in some sort of plastic packaging or their packaging isn't very eco-friendly. And actually, um, The Guardian just published a list the other day of basically eco-friendly beauty companies that either um, don't test on animals or their packaging is either glass or eco-friendly. A lot of them actually, I think one of them has packaging made from just sugarcane or they come in wooden boxes or cardboard and things like that, which is great. It's great knowing that it's the bigger companies that have to get behind it. Once they start making some changes and makes our lives easier, then I think a lot more people will adopt these sort of eco-friendly, eco-happy ways into their lives, which is what we need to do. Yeah. Little changes. Yeah. Make big changes. <laughs> so reduce the amount of plastic you mm-hmm. get, and you see that a lot of packaging is shifting to more recyclable things. So that's the thing is that mm-hmm. not all plastics are recyclable. Some of them take lots of energy to recycle, mm-hmm. but glass and metal, they're kind of almost infinitely recyclable. You just melt them down, turn them into a new thing. Can't quite do that with plastic. Uh, and the other thing is that there's so many different types of plastic that... Mind-boggling, it yeah. really is. So a, a plastic recycling company needs to sort all those different types mm-hmm. of plastic because you can't just mix them all together mm-hmm. and if they it's all still have con- different properties. And if you've used something um, like a hummus tub or something like that and you're finished with it and you want to recycle it, the key thing is to remember to rinse it out. If it's contaminated with food, it'll go straight into landfill, yeah. which is a lot of people don't really realize. So just rinse out that tin can, rinse out your tub of guac, or just make your own guac at home with avocados you bought in the supermarket. Ooh, Yay. wholesome. <laughs> So I came across a paper from, it was uh, a conference actually, the of the International Solid Waste Association. Sounds like a blast. Isn't that amazing. <laughs> so in 2003, a paper was presented called What Makes People Recycle? And it's all about what makes people recycle. And <laughs> Giving nothing away there. Yeah. Giving their cards close to their chest. <laughs> so the key things that they found were that people need more information about how to recycle, what is recycling, what do I do to recycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also, though, wanted the recycling system to be a good one. Like, people were not really sure that it was very effective. They were worried about how regular pickups were going to be. Um, They were confused. I think it needs to be user-friendly. I think that's the big thing. It can be a bit daunting looking at a sign and be like, is this just a regular cup or is it a non-recyclable cup? Yeah. You know? So a lot of people in in this paper, they found that most people preferred a one-bag recycling system. So you just mm-hmm. put all your recyclables in one bag and then have it get sorted. I and agree nowadays, with that. so this paper was from 2003. Nowadays, actually, most of the recycling is like that and you have it be sorted off-site. Um, and that can be quite effective, but that does not mean that you can put your contaminated, your food contaminated rubbish no, no, in there. No. Also, like pizza boxes, can't recycle those because of the grease, the oil oils 
What? Right? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I always recycle my pizza boxes. They're not actually recyclable because the pizza box has the oils on it. The oil's in the fiber, so they can't recycle it anymore. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Right? Because it stains the box. Oh, I love pizza. Okay. They need to make then recyclable pizza box that's okay with... Or pizza box that's made from, like, plant matter that would... Well, they're, they're compostable. Yeah. Anyways. Shocked. Um, And the last thing that people wanted was... More information. Yes, so, I second this. To learn about what, what and how to recycle, mm-hmm. have an easy system, but then they wanted like reminders and information to keep coming at them, to remind them. People were in asking for this because they would otherwise forget. I This brings me a fond memory talking about recycling of the first time. So back home in Ireland, um, I can remember when the blue bins arrived, the recycling bins. And before that, we just had like, all the rubbish went in one place. Obviously, you know, this was this is a good few years ago now. I was, I was younger, a lot younger. And I can remember for the very first day that the blue bins had to be put out, you drove down the street on every single bin, blue bin that was out, had contaminated stuck on it because people, they didn't, they sent the bin, but then did not provide any information. So people had no idea what they could recycle. So, you know, the 300 bins or whatever that were right that day, all contaminated. So yes, information, oh. give the people information. Yeah. So if doing you're, a lot better now. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Um, but so if you're looking to get into this, I recommend actually look into, is there a recycling center near you? Because very often these recycling companies will take, they'll almost always take school trips. They might take individual visits and you can talk to the staff there about how does the process work? What can they recycle? What is the best practice in your area? Because it can vary from area to area. So I know that in some areas, for instance, styrofoam isn't recycled, but in some areas it is. And it kind of depends on what facilities are in your area. So getting a tour of your local recycling facility, you can get, you know, mm-hmm. from the source what to do. I don't know if you've ever been to a plastic recycling facility. I have not had the luxury. It's it's kind of exciting. So they get in. I've been on one. It's pretty cool. I recommend <laughs> if you can go to one, like bring your class there or go. It's really cool. So they get in these big bales of plastic. They chop it up into tiny pieces, all this mixed plastic. And then they have Does it this... look like confetti? It does. <laughs> and then they have this super high-tech machine where they um, look at the colors of the plastic and they can identify gen- more or less which kind of plastic it is. And then they use these tiny micro jets of air oh my goodness to puff the little <gasps> bits of plastic and then they get sucked up so you, they sort it that way you know i was highly sarcastic that it wasn't going to sound fun but that was sounds really really it's fun it's pretty cool <laughs> and then they mush it up into these tiny little things called nurdles these ah, little plastic the nurdles and then um off they go to be uh used used again so the building own. blocks the nurdles are the building yeah, blocks the little plastics. plastic nubbins although sometimes when they get shipped around the nurdles can end up in the oceans you can actually find them on beaches they do look like little they look like lentils little plastic lentils lentils. that's it exactly that's it yeah plastic lentils but yeah yeah, you can actually find them sometimes on beaches which is its own yeah which is why reducing is your first step Mm -hmm. because if we ship less of this plastic around the world there's less Less chance of it spilling overboard less chance is going to end up in a poor fish's belly (laughs) so that's first activity idea go Mm -hmm. visit your local recycling plant Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool so probably one of my most recommended activities that I tell people to do when trying to get groups, families, individuals involved in helping their environment is signing up to the Great British Beach Clean and it's organised by the Marine Conservation Society and 
It's running, it usually runs around the weekend, around the 20th of September, so this weekend, and it, it's been running for over 25 years, and it's basically, wow. name on the tin pretty much spells it out, it, you go to a beach and you pick up litter, but you're not only collecting the litter, you're also doing citizen science survey on what litter you collect, and it's this has been monumental in making changes, huge changes in government about our what we produce and our plastics and our waste. So, for instance, um, it's what brought around the plastic bag charge after oh, a particular wow. year that discovered m- hundreds, hundreds upon thousands of plastic bags washed up on the beaches. This information on the surveys of the hundreds of surveys that took place around beaches all across the UK, this got sent to the government and they brought around the 5p plastic bag Amazing. charge. So and it's a huge, a big impact mm-hmm. in reducing the amount of plastic we've used. It's now also gone on to bring about banning the microplastics in personal care products mm-hmm. as they find those on the beaches and also and better wet wipe labeling. So a big thing that happened for lots of wet wipe companies is they would say flushable on mm-hmm. the front. This does this just means that it may not clog your toilet, but it does doesn't mean that it's going to magically disappear and won't end up in the ocean. And what can happen is these wet wipes can gel together and form what we call the wet wipe monster and it is this huge kind of it's almost like a creepy creature that's in the ocean all these wet wipes that form together and not only can animals eat them but they're pretty damn disgusting and these can actually wash up on beaches as well and i have been involved in the great british beach clean a couple of years now in a row and last year on a beach of about a hundred meter stretch we discovered 3,000 wet wipes. Oh, that is a lot. That is huge. Yeah. So this year is the 25th year, so it's a big, big year, and mm-hmm. I definitely recommend just go onto the Marine Conservation Society website, find if there's any um, beach cleans organised near you. If there's not, set one up yourself. It's super, super easy and straightforward. Get a grip to go down, bring down litter pickers and a bag and print out one of their service sheets and see what you can find That's and actively help. It is so much fun. I've done it with schools and helped families, and it is brilliant i think getting it a little bit competitive making them the scientists in charge of surveying what they find yeah it's just it's brilliant and it kind of really i think when they leave the activity they know they've done something hugely yeah. productive and you're you care for your own local mm-hmm. environment don't you you know you've spent the time to clean up this beach so it makes you, mm-hmm. you know, next time you go there you're like no yeah. i'm not gonna exactly i'm not gonna leave the leftovers of my picnic mm-hmm. behind here i'm gonna pack it up because it's yeah it's estimated that about one rubbish truckload of plastic enters the ocean every single minute that is which is horrendous it is disgusting so going and actively picking up you're doing something great and that's why yes the great british beach clean or even just organizing beach cleans wherever whenever you go to the beach buy to take at least three things away with you i know a lot of people um, do that River cleanups as well are a big thing. Here in the UK, we've got loads of little streams and rivers. Very often, they've got little friends associations of that, and they'll arrange Mm. rubbish pickups as well. Mm. And that can make a big difference as well, because that rubbish in rivers will eventually make it down Mm -hmm. into the ocean more often than not. Everything makes its way back to the sea somehow. No, exactly. I think in London in particular, um, there's a great company, Active360, that does stand-up paddleboarding. You can do stand-up paddleboarding with them regardless anyway, if you ever want to go. But if you, they have a system called the Paddle and pick and basically you get to paddleboard for free if you fight to pick up a bag of rubbish on your way around oh that's fabulous it's really really great it's really really obviously fun activity as well paddleboarding's great for your mental health great for your physical health mm-hmm. but also you're going to be taking litter out of the rivers and waterways and they've actually yeah connected waterways all across britain and i think even france as well oh, wow. they're all yeah, yeah really yeah. really huge making a great as they say river, lots of rivers lead into each other these waterways all connect so you're by helping your local sort of patch it's actually helping rivers all across the land as well that's so, yeah great. huge smaller scale activities i've got i've got um here's a really advanced one so if you're maybe in secondary school or, or above you might want to try this is you can try 
looking for microplastics yourself as like a, a science activity and this is based on this is how they do estimates of microplastics in other places usually they do it in aquatic environments and what they do basically is they scoop up a bunch of water mm -hmm. and then they pour it through a filter so you could use a coffee filter they will use you know more sophisticated finer filters scientific <laughs> yeah but you can use a coffee filter it will work and then once you filter the water uh look at maybe a square centimeter or so depends on what magnification you're using and how detailed you want to be look at it under a microscope and see if you can count how many bits of plastic and so that you find how would you know that you're looking at how would one know that they were looking at plastic usually it's funny colors mm -hmm. and very often there'll be fibers they tend to look like fibers because this is the issue obviously with clothes and washing them the yeah. washing machine all yeah ending in the ocean yeah, as well. all your polyester, mm -hmm. your fleeces, that is mm -hmm. shedding these little plastic fibers and they're usually colored. So the only like other fibers that you'll find in the water might be algae because you get algae mm. that comes as strings, but that will be, you know, green, slimy looking stuff. You might also find hairs and things like that as well, but the plastics will, will stand out as mm -hmm. being funny colors. They'll be like purple. Non-native. <laughs> yeah, have a look. And, you know, if you're not sure, a fun thing might be just take a picture. So you can use your mobile phone, stick it up to the eyepiece, take a picture of something that you're not sure if it's a plastic fiber or not, mm -hmm. and get in touch with your local museum or other institution mm -hmm. and ask them for advice and they'll be able to help you out. And hopefully identify it as well. Oh. Yep. So then you can estimate if how much plastic is in was in that, you know, one cup of water. Mm -hmm. And then you can estimate how much microplastic is in your local water body. Which is very like interesting, but could also be terrifying if you discover quite a lot. Yeah. But I mean, maybe then your community science. needs to yeah. take action because something's mm -hmm. going on in that water body near yeah. you. Yeah. If you have the information, you can make some real change, mm -hmm. which is what needs to be done. This kind of method is how they found that there is microplastics on the top of mountains around the world. Get blown there in the snow, they melt down the snow, and then they filtered it, counted the plastics, and found that, you know, up in the Alps, Correct in me the if Antarctic. Wrong. Did they not find microplastics on Everest? I believe, I believe so. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. On a spam container at the in the bottom of the Mariana Trench or near uh, the bottom, which is just the deepest and the tallest. And we've already messed them up. <laughs> yeah. Other activities uh, to get yourself thinking about rubbish might be uh, there's lots of biodegradable or home compostable packaging mm -hmm. that's kind of out there now. What you mm -hmm. could do is try testing actually is it biodegradable or compostable. Mm -hmm. So in uh, get a box with some soil, put in a couple earthworms and then put in your bit of, of packaging and see mm -hmm. is it actually compostable. I do recommend that if you do this though you take actually a scoop full of soil from somewhere actually outside. Don't use a bag of potting soil. Um, use a bag of compost. <laughs> Yeah, because the, the key is you need all those little bugs and bacteria <laughs> mm. to do all that composting work for you. You need the little legends that live in the soil, yeah, exactly. the ones that do all our you work all for them. us. <laughs> um, I know that a common activity that some schools and people will do is to try and see how long it takes things like styrofoam and plastic to biodegrade. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem with doing an activity like that. If you want to do that kind of experiment with your class and you take some plastic bags and you bury them outside, that plastic bag uh, we know is not actually going to biodegrade, but mm -hmm. it might break down into microplastics. And you will be making a worse problem when you're trying to discover things yeah. out. <laughs> you might be having earthworms eat tiny bits of plastic that then get lodged in their guts. Think of the earthworms. Don't, yeah. make, don't make them eat the plastic. Uh, which is why I say, you know, try it with biodegradable to see how long mm -hmm. it takes those to break down. Because with the plastics, we've 
we've we've done lots of work on that. We can look at those other studies, and we don't want to be exacerbating a problem. No. So you know, a thing to consider yeah. if you want to do an experiment like that. Be smart. <laughs> maybe what could the impacts be? So there's that one. So uh, hopefully some of those mm -hmm. ideas for yeah. ways to get sort of involved with picking up rubbish and reducing rubbish in the environment and in your life will be useful to you. Hopefully we haven't depressed you all too much with the state of our orcas and our peregrine falcons. But there is hope. There is still hope. And yeah, I think that's and, the message. And actually the orcas and peregrine mm -hmm. falcons were... There, there is hope because mm -hmm. we took action on mm -hmm. those types of pollution exactly. and we've seen positive moves, positive change. Positive change. Exactly. So if we take action on this plastic pollution now, mm -hmm. we have a chance to keep anything really, mm -hmm. really horrible from so happening. So get motivated, go to the beach, pick up some litter, use less plastic, reusable clothes, just make little changes. It doesn't have to be huge, but do something. I think as long as people do something without trying to sound like a motivational speaker right now, I just, plastic gets me going. <laughs> Reusable clothes? Reusable. Not reusable I, clothes. I hear I meant... this like disposable fashion thing. Does anyone really wear a shirt one time and throw it away? No, well, some people might. Really? Or, it's not, it's not disposable fashion, but like the um, fast fashion. What is so that? Fast fashion is just clothes that are made quickly, like for the seasonal trends. So it's like they make quickly. So, oh, leopard print's really in. So then factories will churn out thousands and hundreds of thousands of leopard print shirts. But then the next season, leopard print's gone. So then they all either get thrown away or stay in a big warehouse. And people keep buying new clothes rather than just buying oh. clothes that people have used already. Um, I always thought they were just hand, like... Secondhand clothes. Like, who actually, like, just... <laughs> This has been Knowing Nature. The rubbish episode, but hopefully it wasn't rubbish to listen to. <laughs> My name is Annabeth, and this is me, Victor. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time, guys. Mm -hmm.